0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: I'm Kelly McDonald.
2: I'm Ramia Amadon. And this is Kelly and Ramia.
1: Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community. And everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Ladies and gentlemen, appreciate it. Your time, that is, and you being with us as we're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, weekdays right here on AMI-audio. Danielle McLaughlin sitting in with me this afternoon. Danielle, welcome back yesterday on the <laughs> program. Right. Uh, really wonderful having you sit in and, and working with you. We have some things to talk about uh, that we want to get to. But uh, first off, uh, I, I really wanted to, to ask you, settling in, how's things been?
3: Very good. Um, it You know, this fall has just been so beautiful um so the the only tension is in do i want to play outside or am i happy to be here at my home studio <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh,
0: it's, uh,
3: it's just oh it's been so lovely i've been taking walks after four o'clock um so that i can still get some some fresh air it's it, it, it's been and and so much fun working with rumia yesterday and and uh, earlier in the month too just so my favorite Question. thing what
1: can i say yeah when uh, the, the are you the kind that would jump in a car and go north of toronto for the leaf changing period of time that we're in are you a person who has taken advantage of, i hear lots of people talk about the fall colors that way that they'll go on that ride they'll go look and so on up uh you know towards dorset and so on
3: well You know, to be honest with you, I find the traffic so terrible just to try to get out of this city (laughs) that it isn't worth it. I can take a lovely walk in a park there. You know, the city is is just glorious right now. And for those who don't live too far from the Don Valley Parkway, which uh, other people have called the Don Valley Parking Lot because the traffic barely moves. um, The colors there are also extremely beautiful, but I can't. I just can't see myself, you know, stuck in a car for hours and hours and hours when I can be outside and walk and, you know, smell well, the crispy leaves.
1: <laughs> even in that little river uh, along yes. the Don Valley, the Don Valley River, the water barely moves because so it's it's, it's a yes, whole traffic it's, thing. I think the roadway just works along with it. <laughs> oh, it's so true. <laughs> Folks, let's take a look at what's coming up today on this edition of Kelly and Company. Nutritionist Julia Carantis shares junk food alternatives... To make us feel good and helps satisfy our sweet tooth or salt craving.
3: In honour of Disability Employment Awareness Month, we're learning about the Inclusive Economy Project. A research project happening in BC with the goal of making workplaces more inclusive.
1: On our book club today, later on in hour two... We review after Steve how Apple became a, a trillion-dollar company and lost its soul, and that's by Trip Nickel. We'll be having Stephen Scott here. He recommended the book. We'll get into that for you later on in the program. When also hosting that segment, Ramya returns, even though she is away today. Shh, we won't tell anyone though.
3: Well, Danielle, not like much of a holiday.
1: No, not if you're <laughs> sliding back in here. Uh, but we know how much she loves, uh, you know, hosting book club and getting into the conversation. Um, Danielle, you guys have the same mayor back in as John Tory gets. It's the, yep. it's the third term, isn't it?
3: It is his third term, which uh, hasn't happened very often. Um, and there's a lot to be said about the election all across Ontario. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, noticed that the reports have shown. That the voter turnout was abysmal. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. around about forty to forty-five percent, depending upon where you are. In some places, it was and as low as twenty-five. Generous. You bet. Yes. Yeah. That's yep. right. So I have to ask you this question: Did you vote yesterday?
1: I did. Snuck over and voted. Mine is very convenient. Now, here, here's some of the things that that I learned yesterday as we talk about this. And folks. Understandably this is an Ontario thing but I think it's something that is a high in my in, my feeling is it's a high alert for all of us no matter where you are reason I say that is here we had to go to our polls and vote okay so one could argue well maybe that's why voter turnout was low 25% here yeah. in the city of London. We were barely able to get that uh, down from 39%. Other places Gosh. we were talking to Matt Agnew and when looking at his community again, you were looking at, did he say 24% there? I think they it was beat something our London. like that. And online. considering
3: that they even had online voting, it still came in at a shockingly low. It, it was a, uh, Yes, it was 24.8% of eligible voters in Newmarket. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have just also read that Mississauga, 218 and Brampton, 24% wow. of eligible oh voters. Goodness.
1: So That's, some of the comments, tragic. too, that we would make, I mean, I, I, I've heard so many say, Guys, this is the voting that counts the most because it impacts you the most. It's your local. The other thing that was asked of London's new mayor, well, the topic came up during one of the morning show discussions, was, well, hold on. If only 25% of the eligible voters turned out, how does this make this a landslide, even if you get 80% of the votes, 70% of the vote, because you're not hearing from the majority of voters. So Not even what close. does that mean to a person? Yeah, man, I won by but what does that mean when only 30,000 came out or whatever it might be?
3: If that, I mean, and there there are some places where, you know, that you, you don't even get, you know, more than say 1,500 people showing up. It means that somebody else is making the choices for mm. everybody. Yep. And it also it it really is a problem for democracies. The your municipal uh Government is the one that's closest to you they're the ones who will you know decide about mending your streets or the speed limit uh you know uh, uh, in your neighborhood yep. or picking the up flowers your flowers on the
1: border the whatever no of your of your yep. problem Danielle, what that's do you right. feel? I know myself I think a lot of it is. It's the research to learn about the candidates. Granted, a lot of we had ten mayoral candidates here. I believe you guys had something like thirty or something like that. Something big. How, yeah. how do you know about them, <laughs> right? Maybe forty. I think. Yeah. So no, you don't. No.
3: Yeah, no. And because most of them can't actually afford to run a campaign where there's any publicity. So you're responsible to check them out yourself. And of course, in many places in Ontario, uh, yesterday. Uh, candidates were acclaimed. So people said, well, you know, whatever you do, there's only one person running, why would I bother to vote? And that's a very disappointing thing. I mean, we really need to hear from a wide variety of voices and points of view in order to have a healthy democracy. So yeah, I'm feeling quite disappointed by, you know, the participatory uh, lack in, uh, in our democracies right now, but particularly municipally.
1: Very it's a, It's amazing to me because I think, like you said, you hit the nail right on the head. Not just can they not afford to campaign properly, but we don't get to see anything about these people where everything else is brought right to us when it's a provincial or a federal election. At least what's brought to us is who the big boss is going to be of the province or, or the country. And I think here we have a sad opportunity that we, we miss at not being able yeah. to know who's running our ward, who's running our city. Daniel McLaughlin, Kelly McNaught, we are the hosts today here on Kelly and Company. Let's kick the show off. We're going to dive into the archives when we return with our veterinarian, Danielle Jonkine. Sometimes you settle back in to listen to the program, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Maybe with the repeat of the show, 10 o'clock Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern Time. Whatever. We appreciate you being with us. But as you settle back, sometimes you think, geez, I want to know about this or I want to comment on that. Give us a call. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. 4-5. Four five, mention it's for Kelly and Company, and uh, please let us uh, let us know what you're thinking, what's on your mind. Give us permission to to use your message, otherwise we won't. If you just want to email in, you've got questions about AMI TV, AMI Tele, or AMI Audio, anything about Accessible Media Inc. Feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. On Twitter, to follow along with what's happening, segment to segment with the live show, easy way to do that too. Just grab the handle at ami audio. That's at ami audio on Twitter. Well, Danielle McLaughlin settled in in Toronto with me, Kelly McDonald here at the London Ontario Home Studio as we get ready for another day here on Kelly & Company. Uh, the one person not with us today is our veterinarian. She is under the weather. So we're going to go back into the archives and pick a show. Ah, uh, spin the wheel. Got it. There we go. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeffy's back there doing the work. Okay, always. I make it sound like it's me doing the work. Uh, let's go with... Uh, September 27th and oh it's our conversation with our veterinarian um just after the queen passed away on the royal corgis
2: the late queen really had a passion that many of us can relate to actually she loved her pets and her corgis were very well known members of her household so maybe we can argue that they were an iconic feature of her personal life that had many or very little to do with her uh, being queen so what do we know about the corgi breed is the question here um for me not much but we want to know about the queen's corgis and you Dr. Daniel Zonkind, have done all the research and you've brought the goods to the table. So what can you tell us about the corgi breed to begin with?
4: <laughs> well, actually, there are um, two related but distinct types of corgis. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the Pembroke Welsh Corgis and the Cardigan Welsh Corgis and Queen Elizabeth was apparently noted for her affection for the Pembroke uh, breed, which have somewhat pointier ears and shorter tails than the cardigans do, and I was actually able to find some information on the history of the breed um, on the American Kennel Club website and according to them, in the medieval era, um, monarchs all over the globe were actively trying to recruit talented artisans to set up shop in their kingdoms because if they could entice these people to go there, you know, that gave them access to buying goods that could, you know, go toward an ostentatious display of their wealth, which we all know the monarch's really good at that. Um, But the monarchy recruited a community of weavers from what is now northern Belgium to set up shop in Wales. And when those people relocated, they brought the dogs they used to herd their cattle and their sheep with them. And those dogs are reportedly the ancestors of the modern-day Corgi. And it comes as a surprise to many people, myself included, that Corgis are originally a herding breed. And some even compete in herding trials right up there with the likes of other herding breeds like Border Collies. Um, From a veterinary standpoint, you know, um, corgis usually top out somewhere around 30 pounds if they're not overweight. Uh, They have short little legs and long backs, similar to dachshunds. And, you know, their hair is what I would describe as kind of like a mid-length. They're a little longer and fluffier than the truly short-haired dogs like Chihuahuas, but definitely not as fluffy as some of the smaller breeds like miniature poodles. Um, And, you know, all dog breeds usually have some sort of predisposition toward different diseases. Um, Corgis can get some eye diseases and hip problems, but, um, you know, with their long backs, they're a little bit more at risk for disc disease as well. Um, In my personal experience, the few corgis that I do see, um, you know, have a tendency toward obesity. So, you know, you kind of got to watch that for health problems. But, you know, they, uh, they seem to be relatively healthy little guys overall.
1: So how did Queen Elizabeth come to love the breed?
4: Well, you know, there's tons of information out there about Queen Elizabeth's history with her dogs. And most of what I was able to find out comes from articles posted by the British Broadcasting Corporation or the BBC. So according to them, her love affair with the breed began in 1933 when she was just a child. And she'd gone to um, visit some friends of the family with her family and they had a corgi. And of course, like children everywhere, after meeting their corgi, she announced, I
2: want one. So we're not so soon, different, the queen and I.
4: <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> I read that and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I recall the same conversations from my own children. <laughs> mm-hmm. But soon up after her family um, adopted a puppy from a breeder who had a large pedigree name, but um, who they ended up calling Dookie. And the BBC reported that Dookie was something of a furry little tyrant who allegedly bit lots of visitors, <laughs> but that didn't stop the family from adopting more corgis who seemed to be at least a little better tempered.
2: Uh-huh.
4: Um, Eleven years later, um, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth started a lifelong friendship with a corgi named Susan, and the BBC reports that they were very like inseparable. And I guess Susan lived till she was 15 and she sort of became the matriarch at the head of the queen's corgis. Um, she was the ancestor of 14 generations of royal corgis. So her descendants were the corgis we see in all the photos and news reports about Queen Elizabeth and her dogs. And I thought that was really cool. Oh
2: my, that is really fascinating. She, she went on to make corgis of her own. So what was it like to be a royal corgi? This part is sounds like it would be fascinating. <laughs> Honestly, I was like so impressed
4: reading this. It it reportedly was a pretty cushy job to be a canine friend. Of <laughs> <people's> friend. <laughs> so I mean, her dogs did not live in a kennel. They lived with her in her apartments at the palace in Buckingham Palace. They had a room of their own there. Um, each one reportedly had its own pillow-filled wicker basket to sleep in. <laughs> Um, wherever Queen Elizabeth went, so did her dogs and she reportedly filled a stocking for each of them at Christmas time. According to the BBC, she even walked them every day herself until she was no longer physically able to do that. All of their meals were prepared in the Royal kitchens by chefs and she apparently never sold any of her puppies either. She either kept them herself or she gave them to friends or family. And, you know, one of the more interesting pieces of information I came across but didn't previously know is that not all of her corkies were purebred. In the 1970s, the Queen's sister, Princess Margaret, was visiting, and there was a Clandestine meeting between her dachshund Pipkin and a corgi named Tiny, and the resulting litter of puppies were so enchanting to the royals that they dubbed them Dorgies, and the corgi dachshund <laughs> crossbreeds have been included in the Queen's dog pack ever since. <laughs>
1: wow! Wow! You want to talk about living so nicely, and well, I wonder how much at at when it when it started pushback she got from, you know, the advisors are, are you sure you want to do that? Have them live right in the, in the apartment? I, I, I wonder how much of that happened. Um, Danielle, what about the family? Other members of that royal family, did they do they share Queen Elizabeth's love of the corgis?
4: Again, according to the BBC, not necessarily. Mm. Um,
1: huh?
4: Prince Philip, the Queen's late husband, was occasionally noted to grumble about them. <laughs> And about how many there were. Uh, Princess Diana even reportedly reportedly described them once as a moving carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Charles, who is now King Charles, apparently owns Labs and Jack Russell Terriers. And interestingly, but maybe not surprisingly, the public became fans of the breed when the Queen's children were young. And while public interest in the breed kind of waned over time, it surged a bit again when the Netflix series The Crown was aired. I and knew you know, it. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, of course it did.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was trying to think back to all the scenes, especially in the beginning where there were dogs and if it was made a, a, a big fuss about them. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's always haters, right? So what's yeah. going to happen to the queen's dogs now that she's passed away?
4: Well, uh, according to the BBC, again, um, Queen Elizabeth gave up breeding her dogs years ago. So her pets had dwindled to one dorgie, a cocker spaniel, and two corkies who were presents from her son in 2021. Um, so I guess Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson have announced they will care for the two corkies that they gave her. Um, it hasn't yet been announced who will take the other two dogs, so I'm not sure about them.
1: Hmm. Well, Danielle, I had said something about hearing when they were in the course media talking about everything, Uh, there being a hundred horses there too. So I have to ask, did Queen Elizabeth have a love for other animals as well?
4: Well, you are right. Of course, the other animal that Queen Elizabeth was known for her love of was horses. Uh, She was apparently given her first pony by her grandfather, King George V, Mm. and she was an accomplished horseback rider. Uh, Believe it or not, but Queen Elizabeth apparently continued riding horses into her 90s, which is really something when you think about it. And she was also interested in raising, breeding and racing horses and got involved in the racing horse industry in the UK. Some of her racehorses apparently had hugely successful wins at the track over the years. And she was also known for helping to preserve some rare breeds of horses through breeding programs. Um, And those were, I think, Highland ponies, Fell ponies, and Cleveland Bays. Uh, Those Cleveland Bays are used to pull carriages and for riding. And having said that, of course, the the ceremonial horses we often see used at those formal wedding processions by the British Royals actually aren't Cleveland Bays. They're a different breed called Windsor Grays.
1: But you see them always, and the, what it's nice when you hear the influence that obviously the queen uh, would have, mm-hmm. and putting it to that kind of support and care, and and taking on that responsibility. Because what other advocate could could one have that's a has that pull or at least people's ear to listen.
4: Well, and especially for something like horses, like horses are very expensive to keep and, you know, and to breed and to do all of that stuff. Right. So, I mean, really, when you think about it, you know, it would take a a patron of of some means in order to do that. So, you know, it's kind of um, neat that, you know, she would think to do that and and to uh, to help preserve some of these rare breeds, especially.
2: Well, I marvelled purely by just the amount of stuff she was into, and and how much she really kept her uh, self busy. It's, it's fantastic that she was riding into her nineties. So why bring and dedication? This... Oh, like yeah, the
1: dedication. She would have to have with the busy schedule and everything to and making the demand that no, they're going to be here, and I'll have as many corgis as yeah. I want, and these are the horses, <laughs> and what I feel like this is this well, is my life love, too.
2: But she took on lots of responsibility. Yes. through all that um why bring this to us today danielle do you think that this is important the connection that queen elizabeth had to animals
4: well you know of course there's always controversy over the monarchy with people on all sides of the debate over royals having an opinion but you know regardless of all that i think what really struck me you know reading about queen elizabeth and her pets was how we tend to forget that people who are in the public eye are human just like the rest Mm. of us and You know, it was very humanizing to read that Queen Elizabeth bothered to fill a Christmas stocking for each of her dogs yeah. every year, you know, and that they lived with her in her private apartments, not in a kennel. I mean, you know, I just always assumed that without many dogs, they would live in a kennel. What did I know? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes to show you, you know, that that human animal bond is universal. You know, it, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we do for a living. You know, anyone who loves an animal understands how important and how wonderful that bond could be. And, you know, to me, that was, that was really the take home message about, you know, her and, and her pets. I thought that was amazing.
1: I love the thing about bonds is a lot of them just happen. It's it's totally by accident. And you never know, you know, a person could say, yeah, you know, I, I would never really want to have two dogs or, or whatever. And all of a sudden they've got a dozen, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the right circumstances, <laughs> if they have that. Mm-hmm.
4: I get that with cats, you know, people that say, I don't like cats, I will never have a cat, blah, blah, blah. And then they live with a cat for whatever reason, one falls into their life, yep. which cats have a habit of doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have never once in my life actually looked for a cat as a pet. They just find me when they need a home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and they they really are surprised at how much, you know, fun that pets can be, you know, that they, they really do bring an element of, um, you know, this love and this bond and this companionship to your life that you know if you haven't had that before it it surprises some
2: people yeah and the the challenges too you know different things that we highlight on these segments about what happens to a pet when uh its primary caregiver is gone or you know what happens financially all these different things Mm -hmm. we're talking royals but we're still talking about the same things right what's happening to her dogs now etc uh this is amazing. Thank you so much for bringing this to us. and Next week we're covering uh something a little more um uh, I'd say it makes me a little bit more nervous, pet poisoning. So, you'll keep us <laughs> informed about that. A big switch, but yeah. you know, we do have to
4: cover some vet I stuff know. on the vet side. <laughs> some serious.
1: <stuff. laughs> I have to work sometimes.
2: Talk to you soon. Okay.
1: Danielle John-Kine, of course, our veterinarian. Today, herself, under the weather. uh, So we went into the archives and uh, brought you that segment out from September 27th, talking about the Royal Corgis. Let's step aside for just a moment. And up next, nutritionist Julia Caranches joins us. She wants to share with us junk food alternatives to make us feel good. Ah, maybe chocolate? We'll see. That's to help satisfy our sweet tooth or salt craving. In a moment, that conversation with her after this. Danielle McLaughlin, Kelly McDonald, hosting Kelly and Company today. We were just talking about Halloween and uh, just some of the precautions people have taken over the years. You get kind of all the silly, horrible, whatever you want to call them, Danielle, and sometimes a little bit more uh, myth, too, thankfully, than some of the scary things that, that we've heard. But precautions come out, not just on what to eat, how to eat, but just be wary, especially those wonderful homemade things that we used to get when we were kids.
3: Yeah, I remember getting, there was a neighbor who always made uh, candy apples. Oh, those were delicious. The caramel I guess ones, nowadays,
1: particularly, right? Caramel
3: ones, yep. that's right. Uh yep. oh. It you know, wrecks your
1: teeth, but boy, they were good. Oh, I hated them because I was scared I'd pull and my tooth would come out with it. I preferred the chomp <laughs> on the hard candy ones you'd oh, get the, at the, the fair. the red
3: ones, yes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, you know,
1: as if they were better for my teeth. But,
3: Not a you whole know, lot.
1: you get thinking about all that because so many people will be out doing the trick-or-treat racket. As a matter of fact, we want to talk about snacking a little bit. We'll get into that in just a moment as we welcome in our nutritionist, Julia Caranches. I love the
5: world of nutrition. Join me, Julia Carantius, as we talk about everything from food and nutrition to living a vibrant lifestyle.
1: Today, we're asking ourselves, what can we be reaching for then instead of that traditional junk food? Hello, Julia. Welcome back.
5: Hi, guys. Hello, Julia. This is, hi. This is probably terrible timing because Halloween is coming, but here we are. This is what we're talking about today. Um... Yeah, so I thought we chat about junk food and not because it's Halloween just because I know it's uh you know, it's it's popular. It can be it can be sweet, it can be salty either or it's really fun to eat. It hits those very exciting notes on our taste buds and we miraculously never get full off of it. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's I don't know what the deal is with that, but it I mean, you could just keep eating. I always have room for dessert. I know from a personal experience. Um, but you know, there is a real reason that junk food is so addictive and that's because there is a release of dopamine, which is a feel good neurotransmitter in the brain that gets released when we eat it. So it's, that's kind of a reward. And you know, what happens when we get rewarded for doing something, we do it again. So (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, the trick is to stay is to just not eat it and then you won't want more. But, you know, how mm. do how do we do that? Like, that's well, not yeah. realistic. And,
1: and, you know, as you said about your timing in the way of the Halloween thing, we thought, well, but yeah. the fact is. Anything that would be quote good for you, a nice apple or stuff like. That. I remember people dropping the apples, and I, I'm not going to eat that at home. That'll be for my no. mother. My mother was saying the same thing. Uh, no, that'll be for the boy. Remember, it keeps the doctor away. But you became it became where it was unsafe. It would just be thrown away because you didn't know because of the stories. Oh, where would <clears> that <throat> apple? What, what had what had been done to it? Where did it be? Why is someone sending you a baked good? So let's first define yes. junk food.
5: Right. Exactly. And we're certainly at Halloween time. We're not going to give out anything that is homemade. I mean, that's just, that's not possible. We're not. Absolutely. So I think we need to sort of put Halloween aside and think about, you know, on a day-to-day basis, maybe what does this look like for us? And, you know, Halloween can just be it's what it is. It's time. So junk food. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, you know, just put that on the in a different in a different So it's not uh, an anti-Halloween uh,
1: segment folks. You can go back to just <laughs> as you were.
5: Yes. It's not anti-Halloween. So um you know the purpose of eating food is to nourish and fuel the body. So when we're talking about junk food, anything that doesn't do this would be junk. So food like candy, chips, deep fried things. Um, Most processed food is so (laughs) processed that it's lost its nutritional value. So often most things that you would have to open a box and then a wrapper like cookies would be considered junk. So basically food that offers no nutritional value so that you're, you're, you're not getting any bang for your buck on that. It's, you know, it's just sugar or it's just trans fat or it's just saturated fat or it's just salt and it's not really offering any function to the body. So that's what, when I say junk, that's what I'm referring to are these foods. Well, I, you know,
3: I mean, at least it's calories and, um, you know, it may not be that it may not have, not be filled with other nutrients, like, you know, vitamins and minerals, but, um, you know, for people who, who are short on calories, and there are those in our community who just simply don't get enough to eat, I you know, at least that's something, uh, you know, I, I can understand why you would say uh, you, you should limit that. But when when that's all you can get, sometimes it's better than absolutely nothing, isn't it?
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's what's available and you're hungry, definitely you can eat it and it help, you know, would help give you energy at that time, but I, you know, I think there's for people who are fortunate enough to have choice and have options for them. I think that, you know, you can look at, and and that maybe they find it a problem because maybe they, they have other options to them, but they find that they're always choosing junk food. Um, But then they, they, you know, they don't feel good after they eat it. And so they're just maybe looking for some guidance on how, what else could they do so that maybe that, you know, they feel better if they have the means to do so.
3: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. You know, so what what would, what, uh, what would you say that people can do to help stop craving junk
5: food? So first I think you'd, well, first we, we want to do is stay hydrated because being hydrated is often um, is, is, is really important because if you're not, if you're dehydrated, you're going to want to eat something because there's food and water. And we know that Mm -hmm. we, you know, your body will want that water. And so sometimes it sends you mixed messages and instead of saying, you know, drink a glass of water or a glass of liquid of some sort that it, you know, we tend to eat something. Um, and so, right. So sometimes we are eating when all we really need to do is drink. So I think the first little trick, which can be very convenient for people is to make sure that you are Drinking enough fluid during the day and that might help stop a little bit of the craving for for snacking and junk food and then the second is that I would suggest if you're able to do so is to take a multivitamin which I know sounds a little bit funny, but sometimes cravings are a sign that your body needs something. And if you take a multi, it just helps to ensure that you're getting this base level of vitamins and minerals. And we've talked about this way, way back on a previous segment about the importance of taking a multivitamin and some of the pros to taking a multivitamin. Um, And that would help give you, you know, a little bit of zinc, a little bit of magnesium, a little bit of Mm -hmm. those minerals and those vitamins. And that will help, you know, can potentially help with cravings because, you know, your craving can be a sign that your body's missing something. So. Mm -hmm. Staying hydrated and using um, a multivitamin can be a great first step in helping to prevent the cravings for the junk food, so that you're like not even wanting to reach for it.
1: Well, it's like like you said about. Your body craving it, wanting so that junk food, because once you start, um, I always laugh when people say they're thirsty and they reach for a soda, because that for me, it just yeah. wants to be thirstier. Then I want another one, right, if I was going right. to do that. And, and I realized years ago, you, you can't do that. Just stick to water. Um, but here comes the issue of, well, what if we do, do want to eat something? What would you for say? Sure. What to recommend to grab instead of cookies or chips?
5: Yeah, I mean, every of course. Everybody wants to have something at some point. Well, if you're a salt lover, you can try kale chips over potato. Nice. You could also make your own. Yes. And they, there's a lot of different brands out there that make great flavored tasting ones um, that really hit like that savory salty note on the tongue. Um, you could also make your own fries in an air fryer or a convection oven if you have one instead of getting the real deep fried version. Um, I personally do not own a dehydrator, but. I do buy dehydrated apple chips and kale chips, which give me the same crunch as a potato chip. So that could be something to consider is either getting kale chips or another kind of veggie chip. Or if you are a dehy- food dehydrator, you can also dehydrate food in your oven. I'm not really a culinary like wizard, so I haven't done it, but I know it's very doable. Just keep your oven on like a low temperature. You can dehydrate your own food, but that would give you like crunchy. And then you can also season it with whatever you want. I mean, garlic powder, salt, whatever, whatever you like. Dill. I love dill. Um, So that could be the alternative if you like the salty stuff.
3: Yeah. Kale chips taste really good. They're not the same as potato chips, but they do taste good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What about for someone who prefers sweets? What uh, do you recommend?
5: Yeah. I mean, This is me. So there are so many substitutes out there for sugar, from stevia to monk fruit to uh, even just healthier versions of sugar that don't have quite the same effect on the body. Um, And and then like stevia and monk fruit are calorie free, so that might be helpful for some people. But we've talked a lot about healthy desserts when we did our summer segment about uh, like healthy eating in the summer. We talked about dessert options and there. We discussed making your own popsicles with fruit and yogurt. Um, there's so many versions of the black bean brownie out there. So these are brownies. I know it's, maybe it sounds gross, but there's these brownies yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, it, I know, I know. But <laughs> cocoa, like cocoa powder has such a strong flavor that it's really amazing what you can flavor uh, with cocoa powder. Like right. it's amazing what Ooh. turns into chocolate things. If you just add cocoa powder, like if you could mash them avocado and maple syrup and you add in cocoa powder, it's frosting, like a creamy frosting. It tastes amazing. So going back to the brownies, there's a ton of different versions of this recipe where you're making brownies, but you're using black beans, maple syrup, coconut sugar. Um, So you're using, you know, an ingredient that has fiber and you're using way less sugar than if you bought a store bought version. So you're still eating a brownie, but it's got a lot of stuff in it for you as opposed to just flour and preservatives. Wow. Um, energy balls are also very popular, and the sky is the limit with these things. I Full disclosure, I did just eat one myself. So they're often made with honey and oats and a nut or seed butter, like a peanut butter, an almond butter, you know, whatever you have in your house. And that's kind of the base. And then... You can add in whatever you want. You can add in semi-sweet chocolate chips. You can add in coconut flakes. You can add e- add in like a raisin if you want to. And that's just it's exactly what I said. It's a ball. Like you just roll it in your hand, like a like if as if you were playing with play-doh. And you keep them in the fridge. Yeah. And they're they're sweet. Like they hit. They hit it for me. I mean, I'll have one after a meal and it's kind of like a dessert. But then you're, you know, in it, you've got the fiber from the oatmeal and the, the nutrients from the oats and the nutrients from the peanut butter, which also has protein in it. So it, it's, you know, and then the honey, which helps to sweeten it, but it's only a little bit of honey. And then you've got all these other things that help.
1: But it would fill you up too, which is wonderful. Um, Before we lose you, Julia, I want to cover off the soda drink because I did mention it. What alternatives do we have there?
5: Okay, so really quickly, sparkling water, although does not taste like pop, is a great place to start. And then what you can do is if you have a club soda or a spark- sparkling water is you can add in um, a flavor enhancer. So these are in powder or in liquid form, and they're calorie-free. If they're in liquid form, it comes in like a little squirt bottle, and you just give it one or two squeezes into your drink. And you could do this with flat water as well. I like it with... Uh, club soda or sparkling water because it does make it seem like I'm t- drinking a soda pop I mean uh, so that's what I would suggest for for that route and if you want to be really economical you can buy a big jug of club soda which you know you could get on sale like those two liter bottles and one flavor enhancer in it
1: awesome that's amazing of course thank you very much appreciate it we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks thanks guys Nutrition Bye-bye. with you, Karantius we'll talk to her uh, in two weeks on the program Uh, Up next, folks, in honor of Disability Employment Awareness Month, we're learning about the Inclusive Economy Project, which is a research project happening in B.C. We'll get into that conversation as we find out about making workplaces more inclusive after this. Working our way through the Tuesday edition of Kelly and Company. Thanks for being with us. You know, if by chance you can't listen in live to the show, you can follow one of the repeats 10 p.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern time, or you can simply subscribe to the Kelly and company podcast. Great way to take the show in at your own leisure. You can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you, you tuned in and there was a segment going on a conversation that you just, Oh, I'd like to hear that again. Or I'd like to go back over that or hear it in its entirety. Check it out through the Kelly and company podcast feed because you can listen to show in segment form. You've got that favorite contributor and maybe that's all you want to listen to. Well, go find them. Or you can also listen to the show in its complete form. We toss on an audio vanity card on the end of it, and away you go. You can listen to the show whenever, over the weekends. You can listen to as much as uh, the program as you want or as little as. No matter what you do, folks, we appreciate it. So simply subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast from your favorite podcatcher. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, while you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. Kelly McDonald with Danielle McLaughlin filling in for Ramya Muthan today on the program. And we welcome you wherever you're listening in.
3: Kelly, in honour of Disability Employment Awareness Month, we're learning about an exciting research project happening in BC. The new Inclusive Economy Research Project aims to help employers and entrepreneurs make the changes necessary to be more inclusive and equitable. Through an engaging and accessible process, the new Inclusive Economy Research aims to benefit people with disabilities who need and deserve to be recognised as having a place in the economy. Today, we're going to chat with the project manager, Lenny Goggins, to learn about how they plan on doing just that. Hello, Lenny.
6: Hi, how are you, Kelly?
3: Well, uh, I'm Danielle, Kelly's, gr- but oh, I'm going to speak for sorry. him. Kelly's great, too. Yeah, I'm <laughs> he's not always, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> He's always great. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're really interested to hear about your research project. Can can you give us some background on you yourself and why you got into
6: this sort of work? I can, yeah. So Inclusion Pelliver Society has been serving the community of Pelliver Cuffet for almost 70 years. And so we're a community-living-based organization. And for the last 20 years, we've been creating inclusive employment um, programs that have really focused on uh, getting people with disabilities employment. And over the last five years, we've, we've realized that despite all of our best efforts, that if employers themselves are not able to step up and become inclusive employers... And we won't get to where we need to go. And the numbers certainly speak to that, that people with disabilities are less represented in the labour market than people without disabilities. And so that's where this project's coming from. It's the need to, to look at the employment landscape from the perspective of the employer to create more inclusive jobs.
1: So tell us a little bit about... Um... When the, the impetus of of the program, the idea, who who stepped forward was it? Was it people saying, "Look, I'm looking for work. I've got a disability," or uh, have employers said, "Listen, I I really don't know what to ask, what to do. I don't want to be offensive, but I my my lack of knowledge, and I can't possibly know everything about every disability. What do I do?" Um, what what was the impetus of starting mm-hmm. something like this and getting those conversations in?
6: Yeah. So both. Uh, right now we're facing major labor shortages across Canada, but in BC yes. as well. And so certainly employers come to us to say, you know, we want to tap into a labor market that we, we haven't before, and that's people with disabilities. And, of course, em- employees are also saying uh, that work hasn't suited their need. And so we started creating our own inclusive employment setting through social enterprises, and those social enterprises were set up with models that we knew would work for people with disabilities. And we tested them uh, with the input from people with disabilities along the way to see what is what exactly is an inclusive culture and an inclusive workplace. And so we determined sort of a few points that we know will make it a, a workplace more inclusive. And okay. so that might include something like flexibility, a culture of acceptance, focusing on uh, people's strengths in their roles and their jobs and among uh, several other other points that we, we researched and, and have published.
1: Sound important to me. Those sound like the things you want to know when trying to figure out work and suitable placement for people to be at. So what about your role? Tell us a little bit about um, what you execute day by day.
6: Yeah, so my title is the director of social economy and other cool stuff, and so <laughs> I run our. Which is, a, I love my job title. <laughs> I just gotta say
1: I wonderful. like it too because it's like, hey, hey, you got this to do. Uh, hey, could you also do this while you're out there? Would you grab? It's that kind of role. It's wonderful. Too.
6: Exactly. Yeah, it's a whole lot of different things. So I run our social enterprises that have equitable, inclusive employment baked in uh, at an organizational level, and then I run our research. And so the new inclusive economy is a province-wide research project. We're partnered with UBC's Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship as well as Social Research Demonstration Corporation, and we're funded, this particular project, the new inclusive economy is funded by the Ministry of Advanced Education and Skills Training because the government is interested in knowing what does an inclusive economy look like. We often throw this term around an inclusive economy, but what is an actual inclusive economy? And we wanna be part of determining and defining what that is uh, with the voices of people with disabilities as well as employers um, included. How is it that
3: you go about teaching employers how to be more inclusive? I mean, I, I would imagine you get a certain degree
6: of pushback. Yeah, so in every community, uh, major community in BC anyways, there are community living organizations who have programs that are set up specifically to help educate employers and to place people with disabilities in, in work. Um, so there's that, and that work is ongoing, and that's been happening for for many decades. Uh, when it comes to this project in particular, what, you know, right now we have an employer survey on newinclusiveeconomy.ca, and that survey is hoping to gather some basic information about employers who are already considering themselves inclusive right now in B.C., and then the hope is that we can determine some promising practices as well as identifying some structural conditions for inclusive employment, and then we can share that out with employers. Um, we're just at the information-gathering stage of this research project. So right now we're sort of asking a lot of employers, we're asking them to share with us their story, but the hope is to share back that knowledge with any employer who is considering being an inclusive employer.
1: Mm-hmm. Is, there, is it too soon to ask you, of the employers interested, um, and even amongst the disabled clients, the potential uh, workforce, where you feel, what field... Are are is most interested or believes they're most any interesting tidbits? I know you guys are, haven't even really got through survey stuff. Any in, interesting things yeah. that you've? Hey, gee, it seems to be in this field that they're most interested in in um hiring or or getting people involved. Anything like that that you guys have gleaned that may have surprised you?
6: Yeah, well, right now I, I can't say from the survey because it, it's not uh, too closed early. yet. So that's yeah. October thirty first. Too early for that, but I can say that. Part of this project, we had determined that we wanted to include alternative economic approaches. And the reason for that is that we see that uh, cooperative social enterprises, nonprofits, that they have um, particular s- structural conditions that lend itself to more inclusive cultures. So we're we're asking um, any employer, but we are also going to highlight that, that some structural conditions, such as that how employers relate to profitability may be part of this picture of an inclusive economy. We're also asking entrepreneurs with disabilities to come forward because while they may not employ others, they employ themselves and they've created right. the conditions that work for them. And so that's a really strong voice that we want to emphasize is that there are, there's a, a lot of self-employed people with disabilities who are creating the, the work environment that they need to, to succeed.
3: So people with disabilities are involved in the project in in that way. How can people get involved in other ways? What can they do?
6: Yeah, so it's, you know, getting any employer uh, to to complete that survey. That's the first step. Um, Once the survey is complete, we'll be conducting interviews and focus groups. On our website, we have a link to a newsletter if anyone wants to just follow us along as we learn. And then at the end of the project next summer, we're planning to visit uh, BC's eight economic regions on a roadshow where we'll be involving businesses in sharing the practices and conditions with other businesses. So that's all forthcoming next summer. And so just staying tuned in to what we're up to because a a lot is going to unfold over the next year.
1: Okay. Well, some would argue that uh, there's a lot of employers can do, a lot they can do, but a lot aren't necessarily interested. How would we tackle that? And do you think overall uh, BC and Canada are trending in the right direction?
6: Yeah. So I, you know, we just came out with the, the, I say we, the the Canadian government, (laughs) that's not me, but um, you know, a a disability action plan and uh, employment is, is up there. It is, it is one of the crucial pieces of an inclusive economy because we all we all want access to work. We believe work is a right, uh, a human right that everyone deserves to work, and that uh, will um, yeah ultimately help shape an inclusive economy. That if we all have equitable access to work. And, you know, I think there's uh, there's still a lot of work ahead of us, and I think getting employers to the table is is absolutely critical to that because employers ultimately have the power in hiring. Uh, and so that's, yeah, that's where we're headed.
3: Well, where can we learn more about this?
6: Yeah, so newinclusiveeconomy.ca would be the, the place to go where we'll be publishing any of our findings, uh, reports, and uh, linking to the survey all of that and inclusion fellow society we have our own uh, programs that are very much local so that would be the place in new inclusive thank economy you. Okay.
3: thank you so much that was extremely interesting um we mm-hmm. were joined today by lenny goggins from the inclusive economy project to learn how they're researching how to make our workplaces more
1: inclusive. And we love any conversations like this and have them on Kelly and Company, so uh, really wonderful. Coming up in the next hour of the program, this time of year, students with disabilities uh, of all ages are completing their independent uh, education plans. We'll learn more with Lucia Belafonte when she joins us. And on our book club we review After Steve, how Apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul by uh, trip nickel. We'll have the uh, recommender of the book, Steven Scott. Up next though, the Working Group for Accessibility and Inclusion is now taking applications from citizens of Medicine Hat, Alberta. Community reporter Tony Freimark fills us in cuz she's got more for us. That'll begin hour 2 of Kelly and Company next. Congratulations to all the gang that uh, have had opportunities to do the video podcast. I will say they have been having uh, some really nice success. If you haven't had a chance to check these out, uh, please do so. We're we'll going to tell you about one in just a second. Welcome back, Danielle McLaughlin, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of Kelly and Company uh, today on the program as uh, Danielle fills in for Rumya. Folks, I was speaking particularly today of the Paul, Joita and American disability activist Judy Human will be discussing a new training program for job seekers with disabilities offered by Fable Tech Labs. That's The Pulse, Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, uh, here on uh, AMI-audio. You can also find it on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube, as I was mentioning. Uh, great success for those shows. Congratulations for uh, the stable of our podcasts that are over there on uh, on youtube uh it's time now as we like to do on mondays and tuesdays on the program to check in with one of our community reporters tony freimark joins us now with news from medicine hat alberta tony welcome back hey how's it going uh we're keeping busy of course as we begin the second hour always Mm -hmm. wonderful to have you guys with us to talk about things going on in the region and otherwise danielle I, i think we're we're having a great time with all our guests and learning a lot
3: we are, and uh, it's always exciting to, to look at the wide variety of things we get to talk about here on Kelly and Company. I'm, I never fail to enjoy myself,
1: we're and always... I'm really looking
3: forward to hearing from Tony.
1: Yeah, we're we're always so spoiled, Tony, on the program. Uh, let's get into the working group now. Taking uh, applications uh, for working group for accessibility and inclusion.
7: So just as the title reads, we are taking applications uh, until November the 14th for the Working Group for Accessibility and Inclusion. And basically what this group is, is we we meet on Zoom at 11.15 a.m. to 1 o'clock, and um, we talk about how we can make this city more accessible, accessible and inclusive. And we're looking for four applicants. It'd be nice if they had uh, different disabilities, but we're taking any 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 people. So, yeah, it's going on till the 14th of November. You can can apply. You can either apply on the city website or you can. Just get in contact with Leslie if you have any questions or or concerns.
1: Awesome. Um, when I first started to do TV stuff for AMI-tv, I knew we were going to go out and, and speak to a lot of disability groups and on subjects and on accessibility. And, uh, you know, at that, that point, I felt, oh, my goodness, I don't know a lot about this stuff. And a position came up on the uh, advisory committee here in London, Ontario, with City Hall. I applied and, and got on got on the committee, and the first thing I noted was, wow, um, they speak a lot of acronyms. <laughs> so I, I had to learn because for a while there were a lot of places they'd reference, and I'm, I wonder what that is and I have to go check or look it up or lean over to the person next to me. Hey, uh, who's that? And, and try to really understand. So sitting on a committee like that is tremendous. And I know they want your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences shared. Do you know if during that, uh, Applying any idea what things they want you to include, any resume or just uh, a note of interest?
7: Well, past experience, just kind of what you're what you're doing in your life and how you could contribute to this to this committee.
1: That's awesome. I think it's great. If you if somebody's out there thinking about it, you can't beat it. Getting on the Zoom platform. I know that's where I had to step off because of running around doing so much. Uh, I found myself in jeopardy of missing too many meetings and you know not being able to commit as much. But with the Zoom platform, Tony, really wonderful. So that's great. We'll put that up on the blog at ami.ca slash kellyco. Folks, you got a bit of time. Think about it. But it, it's a really cool experience.
7: It really is. Yeah.
3: Sounds great. Tony, I understand you've had an interesting experience uh, using the Google Lookout app, reading a menu at Trucker's Restaurant. Can you uh, tell us something about that?
7: Yeah, I i won't forget this uh, experience because this was the first time that I ever pulled my my Android phone out and I thought, eh, you know, I'm going to check out this uh, Google Lookout app. It's free. got it downloaded. Here's a perfect opportunity. Let's... Uh, let's pull the app out, let's point it to the menu, and, uh, sure enough, it, uh, started reading the menu out to me, and, uh, don't know if I had, uh, the meal decided, or I was undecided, but I for surely had it decided by then, uh, so it's really cool to know that, uh, if you're not able to read the menu, you don't have a sighted person there, or you just, you don't want to fool around with, uh, getting the right magnification set up, uh, I know that uh, I've used this app in other situations as well. Wasn't able to read the uh, the sayings on a uh, well, what are they called? The um, uh, uh, the w- were you the fortune cookies? That, that, oh, that's right! The, word, the fortune cookies. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: You don't so, want to miss know, those. My no, goodness! no, no.
7: <laughs> so yeah, that was pretty cool. And like, it has. Uh, and it reads out the fortune cookies too. What more could yeah. you want? That's yeah, terrific. Yeah, <laughs> Like if you're having trouble with like not knowing an object, you can point it at the object, and it'll. If you're not quite pointed correctly, it'll tell you out loud: go left, go right, go up, go oh. down. It's it's great, and it's That's actually yeah uh, yeah it's going to the other like glasses platforms and stuff like that, and the blind shell. Um, so yeah, it's not just for Android, so that's great. and it's great so when you were using it did
3: people come over and say could you just read this menu here for me while you're at it because <laughs> usually the menus are printed so poorly that having something to read it out loud sounds like a, a fabulous idea
7: <laughs> well i think i was fiddling with the, the volume to make it a li- little bit quieter to not disrupt people you know <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh gosh so have you used it for that that app for some other things as well
7: yeah i used it to read uh, the vehicle bus numbers when i wasn't able to uh the back of like bottles of like say you need the instructions or how to use it or whatnot so it's came in real handy
1: good that's, that's really amazing great. that really is it. Oh, Especially wow. Especially
3: the fortune cookies. that, that <laughs> That's the best.
1: <laughs> I know.
7: It, too bad I can't remember what they said.
1: It. <laughs> I always find that with fortune cookies, the paper curls up on you. So that's tricky, yeah. but oh, that's wonderful. I know. It's
7: like, where's that piece of tape? You know? yeah,
1: yeah, 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 exactly. I'll tape this down, then I can read it. Um, let's talk about the part time position that's out there uh, looking for a regional programmer for ASRAB.
7: Yeah, I, I really hope that this uh, will get this position filled and uh, here in our South region, and they are looking for a coordinator to um, to get the recreation and sports going here in Medicine Hat for those living with vision loss. and this is for the um, what's known as ADSRAB, which was, is the Alberta Sports and Recreation, Association for the Blind. And I, back in the college days, I had an opportunity to go to these practices with goalball in Calgary. And I know that made for a very long day going from medicine hat to calgary every saturday you know you get up at 6 and you don't get back here till midnight so yeah if you're interested uh would be good to for for you guys to apply for this to get this going for the south region
1: it's a um- an interesting thing when you talk about this, because we've had dealings, of course, with uh, as Rab, when we've been out in Alberta, uh, when Jim Crisco comes on and talks to us about things going on uh, on his beat. You've mentioned them before. It really was something that they've wanted to do for a while, but it's got to be a tough one finding people who are willing to pick up the gauntlet because you can only ask so much of a volunteer. So when you say, look, i got a part-time position, look, whoever takes it on, Knows it's going to be a lot of work, a lot of extra time that they they, they may not get paid for, but you've got to have that knowledge. You've got to be interested and especially interested in just giving a bit of your time. This is really to say thanks. When you look at part-time positions, they're looking for that kind of person, I'm assuming, who really has the feel, understands, and how you can bring goalball to, to an area where someone doesn't have to travel as far or do some of the things, like you said, uh, that you had to do in college, jump on and go all the way in, do it, and go all the way back, eating up a whole day.
7: Yeah, I just want to make a plug there, Kelly, that this is actually a paid position.
1: Right, yep.
7: So even better, you know?
1: Yeah, and I again, I know people, when you look at a position like this, you got to be willing wanting and understanding that yeah it's a paid position but that person they want i'm sure is is somebody who really will throw themselves into it and you and i know tony they'll do more than than what you would say they're paid for and i don't think anyone would would try to tell you different um but looking to be able at least to give somebody a little hey man thank you for the wonderful you know effort and all the time that you put into it and it's always nice and funding for even just a a part-time position is often so hard to come by so fedora's off to these folks because uh they really want to get people out there and involved as you know
7: yeah i'd even go out there and throw some gold balls as well
1: uh one of your favorite uh blind sports
7: oh for sure yeah it was a lot of fun it's just like i say the The traveling time, and I was in college, so I thought, eh, might as well commit myself more to the college.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, we reach out to Linda McPhail for this run, uh, don't we? And we'll put this, of course, up on our blog, ami.ca slash kellyco. Uh, When you played goalball, did you winger or center?
7: I actually didn't even get to play a real goalball game. I was just all at practices. There was a snowstorm when uh, we were supposed to do a tournament, so I was stuck
1: here. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness wow That's a shame well, <laughs> yeah well it's a fun sport i've i've always enjoyed go ball when i played it and and totally get it and it, just to give people that chance to do something like that get out be on a team or just like you guys shoot it around uh, so wonderful tony we'll talk to you next month thank you great stuff
7: thanks happy halloween
1: you betcha i uh, remember to check out the blog ami.ca slash kelly co for all the items that tony spoke to us about, and she'll be back uh, uh, next month. We talk to our community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays right here on Kelly and Company. This time of year, students with disabilities of all ages are completing their independent education plans. We'll be talking about that with Lucia Belafonte in two minutes. From your TV, folks, why don't you enjoy AMI-audio? Sastel customers look for us on channel 555 and Shaw Cable channel 825. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I'm Kelly McDonald, at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. Danielle McLaughlin over there at our home studio in Toronto.
3: Kelly, it's time for us to check in with Lucia Belafonte for our parenting talk.
8: Are you ready to learn, laugh, and maybe even cry a little? I'm Lucia Belafonte. Thanks for joining me on Kelly and Company, where both kids and parents can expect to grow in confidence and courage. Hello, Lucia, how are you? Hi, Danielle, I'm great. How are you? Oh,
3: very well. I, I think this is the first time we've had a chance to speak together on Kelly and Company, and I'm very excited about that. It's it's Thank lovely you. to hear your voice in person.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to speak with you as well.
3: Now, today we're going to be talking about IEPs. Um, where would you like to begin speaking about this? Because it's a, a serious and a complicated issue and a very important one.
8: It is. So today we're just going to tackle a tiny little bit of it and really from the perspective about talking to your child about what an IEP is and also how it can be useful for them when they're at school. And I think that part of that is understanding that when we speak to our children about things like their IEP, it's empowering because it sends the message that it's okay for them to need an accommodation. And so, um, We're gonna talk about an IEP, which is the Individual Education Plan. And it's really a special education plan that describes the programs or additional support that your child would receive if they need extra supports at school. Now, this timing is perfect because IEPs are to be completed 30 days after the start of the school year or after a child has been identified. And so it's October 25th, and IPs are in, and here we go. We can talk about them.
1: When you say identified, I think sometimes people need to understand, too, that, yeah, you know, a student might be going in, might be, a, a, you know, a student mm-hmm. that's going to a new school, or a situation that could happen and, uh, you know, a doctor has said, listen, you know, this is where you're at, and this is why, why you're having some troubles with this. Is that what we mean when we say Identify.
8: Ah, yes. So it could be identified is, and there was um, an IPRC meeting and, you know, the parents met with the school um, support team that would be administration and parents, um, sorry, the classroom teachers. And um, it could be that there was an identification, like you said, Kelly, the doctor said some things up. But, it, you know, it's really important because it could also be that either the classroom teacher, the student, or the parent has noticed that there's a difficulty perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so there's not even yet an identification, but let's say you notice that your child's having a hard time um, reading from the back of the classroom. Well, you don't necessarily need to have um, an identification in order to have that IEP set up and state in the IEP that the child is to have preferential seating, meaning that that they should be moving up closer to where whatever the written material is that they need to access.
1: Okay, so Lucia, and that's an important thing. Sorry. Oh, for sure, for sure it is. Yeah. So why else are IEPs so important?
8: Well, you know, they're really important because, like I said at the very beginning. You know, an IEP is going to have those accommodations for the students. As well, it also states any compensatory skills that your child might be learning at school. And the, um, yeah, so the compensatory skills... (laughs) You you know, think of it, if we're talking about a child who is blind or partially sighted, right. that could be the expanded core curriculum, for example. And um, that's usually something that the itinerant vision teacher or the orientation and mobility specialist would assist with. And an example of that is, think of a child who would need to be learning Braille. That's considered a compensatory skill. Or a child learning their new assistive technology And, you know, I know I often talk about a child who's blind or visually impaired, but an IEP would go for any child who needs an accommodation. And if we think of a child who has um, a hearing loss, for, for example, they might have on their IEP the accommodation that the teacher needs to make certain the child is paying attention before the teacher speaks, right, so that that is an accommodation. And perhaps their compensatory skill would be learning how to maintain or troubleshoot their hearing technology.
3: Sometimes it's actually the teacher who needs to learn how to use the technology, isn't it? The the, the classroom <laughs> teacher, Often. who, yeah, for, you know, how do you use this microphone if you're, you know, working with a child with with hearing loss? So, That's yeah, these right. are these are, yeah, really
8: well, and significant. you know, you can have- You bring up a good point, Danielle. So on on the end of, of the teacher, like there is support for the for the teachers to learn how to use the technology that they need to best assist their students. And at the very beginning, when I said it's empowering for the child to know and understand their IEP, it's simply, you know, that's one of the reasons, because If the child feels really comfortable and confident and knows that there's absolutely nothing wrong with needing an accommodation, they understand that they have this legal document that states, you know, these are the things that are gonna help you learn better and, you know, in the child terms, easier at school, right? Because the child will understand that. Um, Even if they're in grade one, they know that if they're sitting too far away and they can't see and they move up close and it's easier to see, they know that that's helpful. And so understanding what an IEP is for a child and a parent I think is is really powerful because if that child is at school and they know that this piece of paper exists and they can even have, you know, um, the accommodations to their IEP cut out and in one of their notebooks or their journal or sometimes they call them the day planners or even in their backpack – the child can refer to it if ever anything comes up. I think just how wonderful is that? You're, you know, they're now empowered to better help themselves at school.
3: Yeah, and, and this doesn't just happen once while the child's in school, does it? I mean, the, the IEP isn't something where they write it in stone, put it in a file, and that's the end of the story, right?
8: No, absolutely. It usually gets updated with every uh, report card um, reporting period. But because they call it a working document or a living document, an IEP can be updated at any point in time. So let's say, for example, something changed um, with your child and a new accommodation needed to be added. Well, absolutely, you you can add that. Or let's say there's a new need that you as a parent feel or even the child, right, feels that they need something, Um, It could be that perhaps, you know, your child is in high school and they're thinking about careers and they're kind of stuck. Well, there's nothing wrong. Let's say October has come and gone and in the IEP, it didn't state that there was going to be um, career research or learning. There's nothing nothing says that you as a parent or the child can't go back now to the classroom teacher and say, you know what, can we please add this piece to my IEP? I think it's really important for this year. And honestly, I think the schools are are not only accepting, but they really welcome that. that Excellent. You know, yeah. It's yeah. a collaborative effort.
3: Right. And how, how do you get children involved in this uh, you know do they do they learn to advocate for themselves uh, you know how do they under, learn to understand their iep and how it, how it works for
8: them ah oh, that's a great question so i really think you know it's it's part of um at home as well as at school when a child is 16 years of age they're actually legally invited to sit in on their IPRCs and meetings that would happen at school. Before then, there is a section where it actually asks if the parent was, um, excuse me, where if the parent was um, asked to participate in the involvement of the IPR uh, IEP. And then I would say, as a parent, if you have a young child, you can actually even I would even start from kindergarten. I mean. You know, we all know what our child is capable of understanding. We're not going to talk in great length or detail, but we do want them to understand that there's this document called an IEP and you can give it the full name, individual education plan. You'd explain what it was and how it's to help them. Definitely go over those accommodations, right? Mm -hmm. And then for an older child, you definitely want to collaborate together as parent and child Talk about what the child feels they're going to need, what they think is most helpful. And then you can present that to the teacher or the itinerant vision teacher, the head of the special education um, team. And so I think in that way, then you're joining forces and you can introduce and talk about it
1: that way. And that works going forward. Uh, you know, a lot of people go speak to a guidance counselor in high school to say, this is kind of what Mm -hmm. I'm planning to do, what what I'd like in my college or university or career choice to be where I would like to go at this point. And I think a lot of time, and I remember having discussions like that or trying to or knowing, gee, I really want to do this when I leave school. How do I do it? We we had these almost like, you know, the conversation handshake It okay, Kelly, let's go forward. but nothing in a living document that moved along with me and worked with my goals or the courses I might need or the, the accommodations, because Mm-mm. this is what I'm striving to. And and I love that when we talk about the parents having a clue, having that involvement, <laughs> instead of it just being on the teacher and, and the child saying, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, yeah. Having those real conversations unfolding um, as as go along, and it gets that conversation going. And it doesn't make you feel that this plan is just because I'm a disabled student but it enhances uh, right? my schoolwork and yes. takes it into account from my position.
8: Absolutely. I love that. And and I think and and for me that's why I say it's something that as a parent you should know and understand. And there are ample of opportunities to either, you know, email the school, call the school, write into the school and say, listen, I don't understand this document. I need some help. You will definitely get help to understand it. I know from the point of view of a child who has um, an itinerant vision teacher, whether it could be um, a hearing itinerant or a vision itinerant, For myself, I worked very closely with parents, and that's definitely something that we collaborated with, and then also the student. So you can help parents as an educator, you would help parents to understand the document. As a parent, you wanna be speaking with your child, because it is not something that is only for a child who has a disability. It's for any child who needs an accommodation in order to better learn or access the curriculum. And that's really important, you know, and I know, Kelly, we've talked about this so many times with Ramia, mm-hmm. about how we just all learn differently. And there's absolutely, you know, no shame to that. And we should all accept it. And this is just part of it, understanding that this is something that is helpful for now and moving forward into the future.
1: Well, and as our Monday contributor would say, knowing your rights. Exactly.
3: Yes.
8: <laughs> That's
3: just what good I was good. going to say. I mean, it's so important for the whole family, the students and their families to know that they have rights, that they can challenge uh, an assessment, that they can talk about what they need and what they don't need as well. That's you know, the, the, the child is the expert on their own personal needs. So I, I think yes. that, that, you know, making sure families know that the child needs to be included from kindergarten on up. So Thank you so much uh, for, you know, bringing all of this forth, Lucia. I, I think that, uh, I, I hope that at least one listener has has found out something that they didn't know before.
8: Oh, I love that. I hope so too, Danielle. Thank you so much.
3: We'll uh, catch up with Lucia Belafonte on the fourth Tuesday of the month.
1: Always great conversation here on the program, but of course in that segment We'll step aside for just a couple of moments, and when we return, it's book time, ladies and gentlemen. On our book club today, we're going to review After Steve by Trip Nickel with the recommender of the book, Stephen Scott, and Ramya Muthun will also jump in here. We'll get that conversation started after this break. Welcome back to the program. Danielle McLaughlin, Kelly McDonald, we're uh, hanging out here hosting today's uh, edition of the program. And we'd like to remind you that uh, we are here every day from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time with uh, a brand new Kelly and Company edition. Also, like to welcome in Ramya Muthin, of course, co host, regular of uh, the co host on the program. But at uh, the end of the month, last Tuesday, generally right? We tried to stretch it into the last Tuesday. So we have more time to read our books. Uh, We visit for our book club, Ramya, you host it for us. So I'll hand things over to you.
2: All right. Thanks, Kels. Yeah, this is a a fun time of the month for me and it's our Kelly and company book club. It's our chance and your chance. If you've been reading along with us to get into the books, the authors, the narrators that we love, and sometimes we don't love. So uh, we're, believe still in the midst of getting a recommender on the line we got him okay cool so the book for discussion today is after steve how apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul this is by trip mickle released in 2022 very recently and recommended to us by one of the biggest techies on ami Stephen scott steven thanks for coming on
0: what do you mean one of the biggest well, be the biggest, the biggest. Here? come on
2: I don't know. It's a little close to home right now. We had Sean Priest on the show yesterday. I don't want to offend anybody.
0: Oh, he's not yet. a techie. Have you
2: had him on the show? Come on. you heard him on our Let's go. show. He sounded really good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but here's the thing. So this book was released this year. So before we get into all the nitty gritty of it, um, why'd you recommend it to us? Other than that, you know, you, you talk Apple a lot. Uh, and when did you pick it up? Like, were you anticipating right away?
0: I would heard about it I was interested of course in this story um I think anything especially whenever anything comes out around Steve Jobs I'm always interested I'm a little bit of a uh, an Apple fanboy just, just a tiny bit and um you know as a result I do follow you know what goes on with the company and I've always been interested in what the company is about you know I've followed that company pretty much since my school days you know that's the first time I remember getting my hands on an Apple Mac and then I actually met a, a proper Apple fanboy and that's kind of what got me into it because he was mm-hmm. so into it and you know he actually he was the son of one of the teachers at the school and he would come in and he we would spend the, the the lunch breaks just talking and geeking out about apple stuff and i used to get floppy disks sent home with utilities and programs and games and oh it was just i remember all that joy.
1: I, I was thinking yeah, in I the book that. i loved in the book when they mentioned my first computer the apple 2e mm. talk about oh, dating yeah
0: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just amazing, amazing machines. And I think, you know, this was why this book was interesting because, of course, it's not looking at the life of Steve Jobs. No, it's looking at what came after that. And um, yeah, it has been an interesting ride for the company, that's for sure.
2: Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, you know, this is, I was a complete opposite. I knew barely anything. I was pretty late considering uh, to the Apple market altogether, but now I'm almost all Apple everything. But conveying. This kind of information, the way that Trip Mickle did in this book was really interesting to me. It was all storytelling. You know, it wasn't stats and Mm -hmm. numbers and articles. It wasn't just the history of Apple in this dry uh, article form. It was settings and characters and descriptions of all kinds. There's so many stories out there. So were you, for the two of you, were there stories that you were leaning into more than the other? As you said, Jobs was kind of, he was in the picture, but out of it. So with Johnny Ive, with, um, with Steve Jobs, I guess, with Tim Cook and other characters, Kells, anybody stood out to you that you were kind of like, that's fascinating?
1: Oh, well, of course, Johnny Ives. Um, I mean, from education, to, to which was really nice to hear kind of what, where he came from, went to, um, and just, you know, even thinking of getting out of it, you know, I... I always think when people say, well, yeah, I, I think I want to move on to do something else. And we, we saw different people in the book uh, that were referenced that moved on to other career careers, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was at GoPro or wherever. But that I always find fascinating because it's a, such a different world to us. You think, my gosh, don't you have the dream job at Apple? Now, again, as you read the book, you know, hey, man, every job has its... moments where you're upset you've failed at something and got to be accountable for it so it's not like you didn't hear that but just the many people that work for apple the many parts of the world where uh, they're a big thing where hey are they you know are they the perfect company are they doing the right things they're a company they're making money some people would say they do this right they do that wrong so i would say johnny eyes for me was the character that i was most interested in because of the the creative abilities but also just where he went through this thing
2: well he was obsessed with design and nobody could parallel that the way that jobs had for him before which is why you really saw the decline throughout the book of of him uh how about you Stephen? anybody in particular
0: well again it was johnny ive but for a slightly different reason um okay it was it was really interesting to me reading his story about his education and how he came up especially at school where he talked about being uh, more on a level with the teachers than on a level with the pupils and i thought that was really interesting because that it was me that was exactly who i was i didn't I, I should point out i don't have johnny ive money but you know at the same time uh, it kind of goes to show that the kind of people who end up in these industries and the kind of people who break out into our, into our world, you know, the kind of things we do, they're the kind of people who are often on the edge of everything. They're not the cool guys, although he was a pretty cool guy by all accounts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it
1: was more... A- The hair, but he also even even in school wasn't uh, what do you call it? He wasn't the geeky as much as he could do. He was what he was. He wasn't somebody you figure you always picture the 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 bullied individual, and and not at all.
0: Yes, that's right. The the tortured soul and yeah, all that. No, it wasn't that. He wasn't that at all. He was actually someone who was very clear in his own mind about who he was, Mm -hmm. what he wanted to do, and you know it, it kind of doesn't marry up. With the california the apple the the world that he ended up in, of course, it wasn't his only place he he, he didn't you know kick off there, but mm-hmm. the point is that he he was in a, a a really interesting place mentally to be able to get to something like that, and actually his drive and determination um was something I admired because I think we all as and i don't mean to bring it necessarily back to blind people but the, I think that there's a there's definitely a parallel here in that you do need a lot of confidence. I remember a friend mm. of mine saying to me, you cannot be a shrinking violet when you're blind. Right. And I think that's true. Or I think an air
1: person or a person like himself deciding, do exactly. I want this job, that job, I have to think over it.
2: Well, he yeah, didn't exactly. always have the thickest skin. You saw that, right? You saw the way he was not taking rejection well and uh, it led to some really dark places i think but you're right he saw so much further than his current circumstances and because of that um or i think it's a it's a big reason why he got as far as he did but guys i want to move to something very crucial which is the description in this book on the projects mm-hmm. on the products. i don't think i've ever heard you know, Apple products being described the way they were in this book. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that is genius. My God, the glass, it was just <laughs> exceptional the curvature of the
1: metal, right?
2: Yeah. no <laughs> the stand of the, I'm a get out. Like carving no one's ever the, carving like the
1: computer out of a chunk of metal.
2: You, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, un- I couldn't believe it's, it. It's
1: like- um,
0: it's uh-huh. just audio pornography, really, It's just incredible, <laughs> and you know, for especially for an Apple fanboy. But you're absolutely right. It was, it was just so interesting to learn about the design, and actually, his passion came through. Trip Mickle actually brought the passion of Johnny Ive and his yes. designs through yeah. and i thought that was really good but you know even even thinking back though i mean look at the the projector he made you know because he thought you know this, these projectors that they use in class are terrible you know so we need something that's more portable right? so he creates yep. that yep. and you know his dad is so proud of him uh you know being able to achieve that and he's like that's my son he came up with this and you know his design his 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 love of aesthetics you kind of wonder where that came from considering where he came from that's what always fascinates me
2: you know what it was to me? It was the accuracy. Like what he drew on paper is what he needed in real life. And there was nothing, in his eyes at least, that was in the way. If that technology didn't exist already, well, he would just make that happen. He'd have yeah. to go to the source mm. and make it happen. And it was when, that first example of when he wanted to bend that metal for the iMac, the L-shape mm. base, mm. Yeah. and he refused, he refused the tiniest, uh, you know, in fractures, and I was like, this guy he's a go-getter but on a on a total level like it was unbelievable to me
1: yeah you get a really interesting place to when you what they would see and what they wouldn't see in in the, what they wanted to do i think a lot of time writers too get hesitant to get too into the description because some people i don't want to hear all that that doesn't mean a, mm. that's too above my head when really we're talking about the way it was described the way it was t- discussed anyone could latch on to you could understand the you got your description I won't say minimal words but it you didn't get lost or bogged down in it but it was always what made it I won't say efficient but, yeah, like when you talk about the antenna bending around inside nice. and wh- where it needed to be and things like that, and I, I sat there and think, how many times do I grab my phone and people say, I, I can't hear you, you're, you're choppy. And it's because I've grounded out my phone where I'm grabbing it and I have to move my hand. So I totally understand when you're creating something, how do you find these problems and solve them? And it yeah. was under, uh, wonderful to hear that.
2: It was because... Yeah,
0: to your it, point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but to your point, Ramia, about the design and the frustration that I think we we heard through the book about how he, you know, although he wasn't the tortured soul, he certainly became that to some oh, degree with, yes. the, with the kind and of work to he was others. doing. And absolutely to others. And I think that was kind of born out of, again, the education, because when he moved into university, when he got into university and he started, you know, in that design class and he talked about the fear. It was interesting that that was picked up on, the fear in the classroom, the fear of getting it wrong, making sure that you get it right, that you're always on point. And, you know, that seems to be something which has become synonymous with Apple. I'm not sure about today, but certainly there was that. When Steve Jobs was there, when uh, Johnny Ive, when those two were together, I mean, people would run in fear, literally hide um, out of the way of those guys. You You know, the old stories of you would never get in a an elevator with Steve Jobs because you probably wouldn't have a job by the time you came out of it. Um, you know, is that, it's just really interesting to read. But can you, can you create the kind of products without that kind of environment? And, of course, it's hard to know the answer to that, right? Well, it's hard but to clearly know, it works.
1: but it also, where does it come from, too? And I would say from Steve Jobs and because of the very narrow margin of being a successful company and not. Or disappearing so quickly, like when .com came along, right? Like, so many businesses. Goodbye.
2: Right. And and that's how many people. Yeah. Of course, they created the environment for the flourishing of not just better, but the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, Stephen, you know, at what cost, right? Because as as soon as Steve Jobs left, it was like scramble. Now, I want to ask you both about this cancel culture situation and how it comes back to the book, because... Apple refused to apologize for for several things and key moments of these bo- in the book as well um, mm. described. You know, not apologizing for Maps when it was first all screwed up, right. and yeah. uh, then Cook having to make the decision to apologize in later circumstances of different things. So the, even the watch, right, which as we know it now is an incredible piece of technology, but that first iteration of you know prematurely releasing it and things like that. So, your thoughts on the struggle? With this, with this notion of Cook being like, I, I don't know how to be my predecessor. I need to step into my own shoes, but also what would jobs have done? What are we doing now that jobs never did? Uh, Steven, your thoughts on that? Like, apologizing, not apologizing? Obviously, Apple is an innovator. Do they need to apologize mm. for getting it wrong?
0: I think they should. Yes, I think they should. But I think there's often, again, this hangover, and it's all from Steve Jobs. It all started yep. there. I've got a little bit of insight on this from my own experience. I did some work with Apple very uh, a number of years ago. And I remember every decision. I, I kind of laughed when they said it. I remember going into the store, which was my local store in Scotland. I had not long opened, and we were doing this visual impairment awareness day where we we're going to be you know, demonstrating voiceover and all these wonderful things. And I remember saying, "Well, I'd love to do this, and I'd love to do that and the manager's writing it all down, he's saying, "Yes, absolutely and he says, "Well, well, of course, we'll have to check with Steve and I laughed, I'm like, Yeah, right, you're going to call up Steve Jobs, and he's going to be like, "Oh yeah, this little store in Scotland is wanting to do something with something mm. yeah he's like, No, 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 we really we do have to you know kind of push, push up the the line and and check it's okay now, whether Steve Jobs personally took responsibility for that, I highly doubt but The point is that that's the kind of company they were and they still are and that's one thing that they've become they've become this they 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 are very um it always feels like a company that's very nervous of itself it's a company that's nervous of its success despite having huge success and of course it talks about that of course it does but it, it seems wary of its success maybe that's the right thing Maybe that's the right attitude. Well, because and I it think could sometimes,
1: and I think sometimes we think that oh, they're falling behind the others because they're taking their time. They're not rolling this up. Uh, they haven't done something new. But when they do, it's that step forward where they're ready to go. And for the most part, it's it's been approved. It works because they don't want those embarrassing moments like they had with maps when whoa, oh, lots of bad mm. things were happening when it yeah. rolled out. We don't want to have to say sorry. We want to just fix it.
2: Because before it's a, it's that, they had no room for margin of error. They It was success after success after success. There was no iPhone. There was no iPod. There was no whatever, right? Like, they were creating it from nothing. And yeah. then you think, okay, but where do we go from here? And you're right. That does come with the fear. Really quickly, guys, like hmm. 20 seconds each, do we fear Apple? Do we know because of everything that they have created and how far they can go to reach their targets are we fearful or are we impressed
0: impressed
1: yeah 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 i gotta say impressed but i also don't fear because there are now because of what they've done and uh, there's a lot of other places out there we can look at now where before we couldn't because we have this thing called choice now
0: yeah, mm. exactly. That's the one thing we didn't have before. And and this is, especially for in our world, right, when it came to accessibility, Apple were the first. Um, yes. I mean, not exclusively, obviously, no. there were other products at the time, but they were first uh, in terms of the mainstream. And now others are following. I think that makes our lives a little bit easier because we feel, mm-hmm. okay, if they all fall off a cliff one day, then you know what? We'll be fine. We've got Android forever. That's right.
2: Wow. Uh, Don't even say Samsung. (laughs) (laughs) I was
0: just going to say, we'll pull up your friend Bixby. (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah, please do. If you can get it to work.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Steven, absolutely loved this book. Thank you for the recommendation. Appreciate you coming on to talk about it too.
1: No, thank you, guys. Really appreciate yeah, the time. And you set the trend. Next, uh, she'll bring Brock in. He'll rec- recommend, no, me, of no. course, a sports book.
2: <laughs> who, uh, yeah, we're going through the list of who thinks they don't read, and then bringing them onto the book club. Right. Um, I'm going to tell everybody about next month's book. So, uh, Stephen's going to get out of here. But the next month's book was recommended to us by another contributor on the show, Julie Martin, our uh, community reporter from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. It's called The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn, and it is available in human narrated audio on. So, I know you guys are clapping about that. It's an unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper. It's based on a true story. In the uh, snowbound city of Kiev, Ryan Rye and book history student Nila Pavlikanko organizes her life around her library job and her young son, but Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. Given a ris- rifle and sent, to join the fight, Mila must forge herself from a studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. I'm going to pause it there for the synopsis. We're discussing it on the last Tuesday of November, which is November 29th. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Rami. Appreciate it. Ramiya Muthan hosting our uh, book conversations. We do, as she mentioned, on the last Tuesday of the month. Danielle McLaughlin and I will return in a moment to wrap up the show. Well, folks, we're just about to put a bow on this edition of Kelly and Company for today. Danielle McLaughlin, Kelly McDonald hosts of the show want to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form. You listen to your favorite contributor or maybe an external guest that joined us to tell us something that you didn't know about and you want to go back and listen to it or recommend it to a friend and share it. Please, that's the Kelly and Company podcast. Uh, Whichever way you take it in, the full version with the audio vanity card on the end or in segment form, we appreciate your time. And if you're here with us at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, daily, if that works for you or one of the repeats, always one Wonderful to have you in with us wherever you're checking us out around the world. Danielle, I just mentioned the podcast, a particular segment. Could you go back and suggest what people might want to go back and listen to?
3: Yes, for sure. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with Lucia Belafante about IEPs, a, a program where people whose children and the children themselves who have disabilities can get access to a better form of education because they can learn uh in their own fashion and they can be accommodated for their own needs and uh, she told us a lot about it and how to get access to it and how to include the students themselves i thought it was an excellent segment and i want to thank lucia for bringing this forward so that uh people can understand that the education system isn't written in stone that uh, people have rights within that system and uh you can get access to those rights if you ask the right people the right questions.
1: So I always feel because we'll, a lot of time with Lucia, we'll go back and Rummy and I will contribute with our own past of education and what it was like being in school. And I know back in my day, I remember having the conversations, having sometimes my parents there, maybe not, but what do you want to do? And as, as I mentioned, as I, you, know, you progress through school, you get those things happening. But the idea of, of following along and doing these plans to me is just tremendous. Checking in, just like, and it also sets you up for the reviews that you may have to do at your workplaces going forward, how to understand how that works, how to understand university and college, even at the age of six when you start school. School, and knowing that you have some say, no longer do we just say, "Well, the teacher has all the answers," or "or the the EA helping out," um, or the special, you know, the uh, educational assistant. It, it, you know, that that's working with the disability. It's not just about that, and it is really to get that success. So, I I enjoy when we chat about this because I learn a lot. Not you know being that removed from school, uh, and I think it's important going forward so that folks know they can get this kind of help at their schools. Uh, we'd like to welcome in Paul Daniel. He's one of the producers from Now at Day Brown, that program available to you on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning. Paul, thanks for being with us today. Good day to you, sir. Hey,
0: Kelly. Um, Kelly, uh,
3: Kelly, as you may well know, on the news, uh, British Columbia has been experiencing collision of uh, politics and climate activism with the recent controversy over the recent BC NDP leadership campaign. Our columnist Arnold Kulpecki will offer up his thoughts on the... Uh, on the story, and what can be done to better serve people with disab- disabilities during an emergency, advocates are calling for the creation of a vulnerable people's registries. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. And Canadians want to keep expiry date- dates on food items, even though some studies have shown that those expiry dates aren't necessarily uh, as a- as accurate as they could be. Mm-hmm. So Megan Gilmore, Jenny Bolvard, and Dave Brown will discuss some issues we have with food labels.
1: Interesting. Good. That's a great conversation. The registry Mm -hmm. to me, too, is an interesting one because we know a lot of time fire departments, Mm -hmm. police departments in individual cities, towns Mm -hmm. do such Mm -hmm. a thing. So very interesting. Great conversation. Folks can tune into those uh, conversations. 9 a.m. tomorrow on AMI TV or follow the podcast. You can subscribe. Paul, talk to you tomorrow. Take care. Danielle, appreciate you being with me today. You're back with me. Oh, no, with Ramya on Thursday's program. Uh, Really appreciate you being with us.
3: Thank you. And as I say, you just can't get rid of me, Kelly. I just enjoy being here with you guys so much. that uh, I will be back Thursday for sure.
1: I'm back tomorrow on the program, and Grant Hardy will be joining us, our reporter with the latest health headlines. Margaret Weldon will be with us, and she's going to highlight Wounded Warriors Canada, an initiative offering support for veterans, first responders, and their families. Also, we'll have the Wednesday edition of Buzz with Bill Shackleton, and we'll flip through some uh, quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy as he returns back to the show in hour or two for What in the World? The Wednesday edition of Kelly and Company Bing is at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. I'm waving at you, folks. On behalf of Danielle McLaughlin, have a wonderful night. So I get into this place once in a while where I almost stop and say, hey, hold on, what's my go-to? So right now, Major League Baseball has had its playoff series end quickly, the two that are currently currently running before we get into the World Series. So now there's a layoff of four days, actually five when you think about it, before the next series begins. So I've got my basketball because I've been out here saying, oh, wow, it's great. October, great sports month. There's so much. So much that it's amazing how quickly you get into. Oh yeah, I got that. I'll switch over to that. And there's still plenty on TV. I know you non-sports fans are saying, "Man, another another game? What? I'll try another channel." How come there's all these games? Uh, I mean, it is different than the old days because you'd get a period of the year where w- when we had a lot less channels, these games were on these channels, and people were, "Hey, where's my shows?" And especially when it became new season, you know, your fall season on television, you're all set to watch stuff. And of course, this has all been accounted for by the networks. They know, well, uh, yeah, well, the next episode of whatever will be uh, on the third. So people miss a couple of weeks of it because there'll be baseball unless there's a rainout, and it will run a repeat or whatever they worked out back then. Now you've got all these channels, so you find your stuff. But still, you know that, hey, man, this sports is dominating my TV so when there's not a game, someone like me stops and says, oh, hold it, there's no baseball for a few days. Whether they're teams I'm into or not, oh. And it almost seems a waste because you know November's coming, which means baseball's done. And I'm a big baseball and basketball fan. So, of course, a lot of you out there say, well, then, be quiet. Your basketball game, it's being played. And you're right. Early days, however. Yeah, still some exciting games. But it's amazing that we as people, can kind of get that vacancy you know if you know your show's being canceled because something's going on the president or prime minister's coming on tv and hey my show and you're not into watching that you really do sometimes and i hate to admit it because i don't by far watch as much tv as i used to but i still feel a little lost join me every couple weeks for the outdoors with lawrence gunther podcast where we learn about outdoor tech and tips plus we look at news affecting the environment AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.